So you're a gamer now. Oh, you're my t- God. <laughs> you're just telling me, folks, to lead you in here, we've been talking for a minute, and I just I made the executive decision to switch on the microphones because we were <laughs> we were having too good a time. Um, Laura is now deep into it, folks. Yeah. She's playing some. She sat down just now and was like, Eric, you know how I don't play any video games. And I was like, oh, baby. <laughs> so, so the problem is, is when I was a teenager uh-huh. – I was really, really, really obsessed. Like I would, I would play for hours. Like my hands would hurt. I, you know, like it was. I was like into Game Boy. I I had a GameCube. Like it was, it was all of this stuff. And um, I like made an executive decision when Uh I was like fifteen. I was Mm -hmm. like, Laura, you need to do other things. You need to like stop. And I don't have a deeply addictive personality, except for like I must have the brain chemistry that like. Game developers are like, she's going to get hooked. You're a gamer by design, you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, like, that's why I've been doing recently in the last few years, I've been doing tabletop because that mm-hmm. is very reliant on, like, who can actually get together for four like hours other and, like, people, sit yeah. down. Right. You can, like, justify it as an right. activity. And right. so, like, as part of, like, my bedtime <laughs> routine... I like go upstairs uh-huh. and I like listen yep. to my audiobooks mm-hmm. and I play a few games of solitaire. Uh-huh. Well, my favorite solitaire app. That's um, the funniest game to refer to yourself as like a video game player, by the way. What? No, 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 no. We're not there yet. Oh, I... We're not there yet. So, so for years, I'm like, I can't even like my husband has a bunch of game like things downstairs. Right. He's got like eight different you know, um, consoles, that's an exaggeration. He has three. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, including, like, VR and all that stuff. And I was like, I can't you even. Have, you guys have VR? Oh, yeah. You never invite me over for VR. I've never played VR. We'll go downstairs and do it right oh, after this. Oh, my God. Yeah, the show's canceled, folks. Yeah. I've got to go. What, the, what can I play? The best one is the Batman game. Oh, my God. Yeah, we Yeah, it's that. phenomenal. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, with, like, yeah, it's great. So, anyway, like, he's always like, you no, no, you would really love this game. Like, Red Dead Redemption, you'd really love this game. It's so much fun. And I was like, Nick, I can't play this game. Like, I can't even put the controller in my hands. Right? So the thing about my solitaire is that in between mm-hmm. a couple, like every couple of games, I get this ad for a different game. <laughs> and finally, like it got me. The uh-huh. the advertising, Eric, got me. Yeah. And um, there was this, this phone game called Merge Dragons. And it's basically Hell like yeah. if um, like if Pokemon and Animal Crossing had a baby. Yeah. And I downloaded it four days baby. ago. Yeah. Four days ago, and I I need an adult. Like I need help. Like like I I feel like a teenager again, and I just can't stop. Like I can't stop. See, this is what this is what books are up against. I think like more than like um, you know any other medium. It's like what the one thing that writing and book stuff doesn't really have is just that ability to tap into people's brain chemistry. Like oh, on it on an addiction like by second by second level. You know what I mean? Like. Because that kind of stuff, like I've played those kind of phone games before, and they're all like they're tactile, right? Yes. And you get to like point and drag, and like you have to like they do like little time lapse things, you know, where you have to like wait, and so you get all excited when a timer runs out. It's incredibly, it's designed to just hook you, right? Like there's no escaping these games once the once you start playing them. Um, so good luck with that. But <laughs> the point is, like, I need so much help. We need some sort of like book version of that, like something like. You know, a sh- like a short fix, you know, that you have to like wait for. You know, like there's some sort of. Well, there was of, the one that's yeah. text messages. Yeah, 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 And you yeah. would get like. Oh, I remember that. 50, yeah. like, it would, it would be a story. Once, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a story told in text messages, yeah. and you would like click on it, and you would get a certain number, and you could either pay f- to do it all, or you could wait like 20 minutes and then read the next yeah. one. I'm sure that like when we did that episode, I like roasted that technology because it sounds like something I would hate. But actually, folks, I think it's good now. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's. We gotta find you um, some help. I need We've somebody to like take my phone and public. delete this, We've except not f- yet because I've just like I, I'm about to clear more space and like get a bigger can. Oh my god! We I need like a book publishing answer to Candy Crush. 
all this kind of stuff. Oh, um, it's so bad. But anyway, folks, if you can't tell, it's summer. And because of that, I would like to say welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. <laughs> Lawrence. <laughs> With me, as always, is the newly self-tea spilled upon. She spilled the tea, folks. All over she... my legs. <laughs> that is the tea. All um, over so... <laughs> Um, with me as always is Laura Zatz. Uh, say hello, Laura, if you can stomach it with a scalding tea on your leg. Clearly, <laughs> I'm just in a spiral. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. Her hands are I'm... jittering because she hasn't played in 17 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, today is, what, it's July 12th, yes, I believe. Yes, July 12th. Um, we're going to talk today, and we've done an episode like this before, but we did it from a more like historical angle like how why publishing is set up a certain way seasonally um our old summer episode about summer fridays um but today we're going to be talking about summer again this time from a more contemporary agenting perspective and that'll probably then bleed into some you know writer considerations things like that but we're going to basically talk about the summer publishing doldrums um a little bit today um but before we get to any of that how about the basic rundown Okay, so it is still um, in the middle of July, which means that we have three special episodes coming to you yet this month. Um, In the next week, you will have your query show and your first pages show. So buckle up for that. I think there'll be lots of fun. Um, And then we're going to have a third flex episode. And all of these are available to Patreon subscribers. So if you want to, you know, like if you're getting ready, summer's a really, really great time to workshop your book, workshop your query. As we're going to talk about, yes. Yes. And so head on over to Patreon and become a member, become a supporter of Print Run, and then you'll have access to like what are now like literal days of these critique critique episodes. Um, So definitely... Sign on up, and of course, if you would like us to critique your first page, your query show, your query, um, or you have suggestions for our special flex episode, send them to us. We're at printronpodcast at gmail.com. So, um, it's Friday. Yep. It's summer. I'm wearing a Jurassic um, Park romper. <laughs> Excellent. You're wearing pink shorts that have big holes in them. Well, they only have big holes in them because... Not because I'm an animal, but because the animal <laughs> I own is an animal, and he has ripped through many articles of my clothing at this point. Um, lovingly, I like to think, um, sometimes less lovingly. But, um, yeah, so it's, the point is, it's sleepy in here, folks, mm-hmm. and it's sleepy kind of everywhere in publishing right now. Um not because, like, there aren't, you know, there's, like, stuff going on, right? Sure. Like, pe- editors and people, you know, everyone's, like, at their desk. This isn't like everyone has shipped off to vacation, though. A lot of, like, sometimes it actually kind of is that. Mm-hmm. But um, There's, like, three different editors that are on vacation in Israel right uh, now. Yeah. Like, the thing that I want to talk about is, like, what are we doing with our time during the summer? Because, yeah. like, the common bit of wisdom, especially for as it relates to agenting, right, is that summer is a time where no one's buying books. Yeah. And that isn't – that, I think, is – old it's like a you know an outdated mode of thinking before before the internet existed yeah nobody bought books in the summer right but so like while that is less true now and we are in better touch now it is still true that summer's a little bit of a slow season you Mm -hmm. know we understand that fall is very busy you know big releases happen in the fall all that kind of stuff spring and winter you know like those are their own active engaged book publishing seasons you know all that kind of stuff but summer is still kind of sleepy like today i would even say like probably you know given how summer fridays work in a lot of places like no one's a lot of people probably aren't working today you know right and the question is interesting when you think about it from our perspective i think because you and i aren't at a publishing house right which comes with a whole set of um, calendars and projects moving around and thing you know there's a ton of external structure Mm -hmm. right for you like like when I was an editor or anyone who's an editor now, you sit down and at any given moment there are – there's a lot of things that need doing on a very like immediate temporal basis. Right. You know, there are deadlines that are short-term, that are long-term. You're working with several different internal things. Like it's very much an office job all the way through, right? Mm-hmm. That's less true for us. And yeah. it's less true especially during the summer because it's things are floatier right now. You know what I mean? Like if we can't – like, if we're not attached to an institution like that, I mean, obviously we're at an agency, but that's a different, it's a different thing than a publishing house, all those moving parts and all that, you know, 
you're know, actually like making something as my opposed calendar to, yeah. doesn't answer to anybody is what yes. is kind of what we're getting that's at. a good way to put it and so like the thing i want to talk about today laura is like what the hell do you do during the summer <laughs> and how does that thinking end up informing the way you structure your time throughout the calendar right um well i will say first off that i do actually go out on submission with books so okay that's um, a good myth dispelled then yeah so but it's not like a lot so talk um, to me about it. like what when you think about pitching during the summer mm-hmm. which is something i think authors are a little bit afraid of i know agents sort of right oh man we can't be pitching during the summer you know like tell me tell me about the way you kind of view that decision yeah, so it, it kind of comes down to, like, okay, so really the only books I, I put out in the summer on submission are books that I meant to get out in the spring, and for whatever reason, whether, like, revisions took longer yeah. or, you know, like, whatever, um, didn't make it. If it's kind of, I'm never pushing to get a book out on submission for the summer season. Right. Like if an author is revising and they're like, well, I could have it out, I could have it done end of July, I am more likely to say, you know what, like take your time, I'll go out with it in September. Yes. Um, and the reason for that is, is like people do buy books in the summer, um, but it's they're fewer and far between and any book that I put out on submission in the summer. So like they're OK, there's a big difference between people buying books in the summer and people reading new books on submission. Yes. That Actually, come out that's, in that's the summer. a huge distinction that I was going to talk. about. Yeah. Too. So usually it takes, you know, in best case scenario, unless like this is an established author, like a debut, a debut novel will probably be on submission for three-ish months minimum um just because like in the way that most editor cues work is that they will typically require three months to read through the book you know that can that can be shorter that could be longer depending on the person and the and you know how jazzed they are to read the project but just one that they're they're generally really excited about you know typically i go out on submission and say you'll hear from me in three months when we when i have reports back from a bunch of people and it's really weird like i'll send it out and then it'll be nothing. And then, like, I'll get six answers yeah. in the same week. Like, right. everybody's on the right. very similar schedule in terms of reading their submissions. And so if I go out on submission in July, um, like, we probably wouldn't be expecting to hear back from back until, like, October. Yep. But if you go out on submission in September or in July, that might actually end up being, like, November or December simply because... Like, there's a lot of reading that doesn't get done in the summer. And so what we're doing is we're extending that base That's, response time. When, you know, we've kind of talked about this before. Like, there's a certain author management angle to this, right. too, right? Because, like, if people aren't reading, you know, if people aren't reading new things in this, like, I would say requests for manuscripts go down in the summer. So, right. like, for me, a big thing is I get things out in the spring and then summer is a great time I have found to like check in with editors who already have things, right. you know, like it's not a time when all contact stops. It's a time when it becomes a little bit sleepier to actually pitch new things mm-hmm. I found. And so like and the books that do sell in the summer have been, have they were on submission before that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, but so the idea of like pitching during this time, what you're saying, it sounds like, and it's something that I agree with. Like if you pitch a book in July, you're not going to hear in three months. You're going to hear in three months from fall. Like it's good. You're going <laughs> to yes. hear on the same date as though you pitched it in September. But yes. the difference is that you have extended a wait time for an author by yeah. three months. So they're probably like going nuts. Yeah. You know? And of course and you... <laughs> there are exceptions to this. You know, newer editors have fewer things on their plate. They're yeah. more hungry. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's so, all depending on relationships. And, and so stuff, a lot of like, this is very much like dependent on one person. You know, if I know that this person is brand new, but I really clicked with them or something and we want to send them this project, I'll send it to a new editor at any point. Yeah. Because I know that they have the bandwidth to read it. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody who might be a senior editor somewhere, I know I'm not sending them anything until September. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. And I think, like, what that ends up doing is it changes my approach a little bit in the summer. So if, I, if I'm spending less time pitching mm-hmm. during July, it's like, all right, well, what am I doing instead? And to me, the answer is actually something I really like, which is I end up working a lot more on, one, on finding new clients, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, it means I can spend more time digging into my submission pile. It means I can spend more time doing something 
that I think I probably do a little bit more, like, percentage-wise than the standard agent, like, commissioning stuff. Yeah, you do much uh, more of that. Like, so a lot of that sort of author outreach is something I do a lot of um, during the summer. And then, really, with existing clients, my big thing is, um, you know, checking in with folks and saying, all right, what can we have ready for September? Mm-hmm. You know, like, because I... Having come from a publishing house background, like being in those institutions, I'm still kind of wed to this idea of seasons, even for my own personal work, right? And so, like, one thing I always try to do is, whether it's, you know, fall, spring, winter, whatever, however you want to divide up your seasons, like, I like to have a certain number of new things to go out with every single season. Mm -hmm. And so there's a certain amount of, before that time hits, like, coming up with you know, making sure that whoever you're banking on being ready for a certain season to pitch, make sure they're doing something. You know, yeah. making sure that this is a good time to workshop your pitches. Exactly, it's a good. It's also a good time to like, um, you know, like I've got you know authors you know finishing novels right now. I've got authors finishing proposals right now. You know, that sort of developmental work, and it's all sort of focused. Because one thing that happens in writing and in agenting is things can feel kind of floaty, right? Because like right. our calendars are, are our own. And so any chance I can find to, like, organize around a date, right? <laughs> like, you have to take it. And so I've, I've talked to a lot of my authors and have been like, hey, let's plan to have whatever this next thing you're doing. Let's have it ready for early fall. Right. And we can hit it, you know, when everyone's going to be back at their desk and you can be part of my, you know, the wares I hit the bricks with. You know what I mean? Like, we can... Um, we can use your stuff as part of, you know, the main thrust of my pitching this Mm -hmm. fall. And so it's a lot of that kind of work, but I don't know, like it does become, it does become quieter. And I do find that even like editor conversations can be, you know, I guess it's a lot of conferences during the summer, you know, so you can see people there. I guess that kind of relates. Yeah. I would, I would say that I, I have started really, you know, now that I have more established authors, I have really started creating what I like to think of as my own seasons as an agent. So like, and they're surrounded by events, whether that's me going to New York or me going, you know, to a a conference or doing something. Um, And there's a couple of things. There's a, there's a couple of reasons that I'm, that I'm kind of building my own season, which, which much instead of like, we're having, you know, these five books come out and that's our fall season. What, what instead that looks like for me is, I am pitching these five books that are in some way, shape, or form related to one another, right? And so you kind of have this grouping. And what's really great about that is you can rely on the name recognition of your more established clients to kind of boost the the attraction that people might have to your debuts. So that's fascinating because I, like, (laughs) you know, I most of all the books that I – I guess not all of them, but most of the books I'm representing, right? And we've talked about this before, the differences right. between our lists, right? Like you have people who are on third and fourth books. You mm-hmm. know, I'm more of a, you know, all the stuff. Five and six, right? yeah. All the stuff I sell right now, it's mostly debuts. And so like using that, you know, the sort of the house name, you know, the person mm-hmm. someone knows, but then being able to also say, well, this other stuff I'm pitching this season, it's thematically united. or it's, It it's, would appeal it's, to yes, you as exactly. well. Exactly. Because that's, a, that's really, a big part of agenting is yeah. people like you getting to know editors yeah. tastes and them getting to know yours so yeah. that when you send them something, they'll go, yep, I want to look at everything that you have. Right. And so that way I'm able to kind of up the interest factor for some book that might right. otherwise be seen as very unknown. Yeah. Um, but what that also means is um, it allows me to really, okay, so backing up a little bit, Mm -hmm. I work in the YA and science fiction fantasy spheres. Mm -hmm. These are both very big categories, but have relatively few number of imprints and thus editors that I can submit to. Mm -hmm. Um, Added to that, look at something like Tor, which is a really, really big science fiction fantasy publisher, and they have a kind of like one-and-done policy. You submit to one editor there, and if they don't take it, it's a no from the entire company. And so what I do there in a kind of – in related to – very much related to the picking up of debuts and kind of holding them next to my more established authors – is I am able to 
like by by talking about my list as very much you know a list rather than like I'm selling this book and this book and this book um I'm able to sort of like workshop my pitches and really yeah. kind of um do what I call like a soft pitch and really figure out who would be the best fit for this and so instead of coming to somebody at tour for example and like hey listen I have this book I think you would be great for it I just have like really casual conversations in the summer where I'm like, what are you super excited about for fall? What are you really looking for? And then the natural second half of that conversation is, oh, what do you have right now? And I can run through all five of these books and then the editors will kind of self-select which sounds best to them. So you're not burning through your one and done. No. And like the whole point is like the uh, being a really good agent means developing those personal relationships with editors kind of even beyond just knowing their taste. But like when you know somebody like that and it's very much like you're on the same side, you both want to publish these awesome books. Yeah. Those kind of informal conversations mean that you're able to workshop how you're pitching it and how you're approaching it. Because if you if you say something one way and somebody's not really responding to it, um you might kind of have a deeper conversation about it and you might land on some some other type of comp or some other type of something or you might you know be, you might be able to to change how you're how you're talking about it and so it's kind of kind of like three things in one yeah when you're just having these informal conversations you're maintaining you're maintaining your relationships with these editors you're also relying on their expertise yeah. to kind of shape what's going to happen when you get formally pitching and you're building interest for when the book is going to be ready. So that means like as it relates to the season itself, Mm -hmm. to sleepy July, August, you know, even parts of June can feel very kind of dead. Like that sort of groundwork, you know, that sort of reaching out the sort of more, I guess we always think of it as casual, Mm -hmm. you know, like these sort of less, and I think it's casual because you're not like mechanically officially pitching a book. Right. It does. It is still like a core competency of the job. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I've sold more and, books from soft pitches yeah, that I eventually give to them yeah. than from just sending emails. Me yeah. too. That's like been the biggest lesson of this job for me so far is that like you sell things to people you know, right? And you get to know people. I think a little bit during the summer mm-hmm. because it's a time when you're sort of freed from having to. It's almost like there's a burden that's been lifted from having to pitch something. It's like we can just talk, you know. Yeah. Now people is the time for people aren't looking at you like there's this hungry agent who yeah. needs to make their right, commission. Right, right, right. Well, and that so the commission thing is interesting for this season because, like you and I and many many other agents, as right. we've talked about at length before, we work on commission. And so if summer is a time when it's when you're not like pitching as much and you're not selling anything, exactly. It's like. Man, that it's kind of a rough season for those of us who are working on a you know commission Man, I calendar. Wish I had money. That, yeah. yeah, exactly. So it can it can feel a little bit like that too, but that's why it becomes all the more essential, I think, to build up, you know, that infrastructure, you mm-hmm. know, that um, you know, build out that network of contacts so that when fall hits, because like the flip side of this, of course, is that things get busy during the fall. Editors are reading a lot. You know, every agent is doing what we're doing, which is preparing things for a season that they can then pitch so it's like you have to have something that's going to get you out of the massive stack that hits in the fall you know and so it's kind of the time for that sort of Mm -hmm. you know low building work it's also worth mentioning that like the more an editor is familiar and excited about a project like if you've been having you know conversations with them two or three times over the last four months and then it comes on their desk, they're going to be more excited to read that than something where you just send them a pitch and you're like, here's the book, you know, here's the here's the pitch. And they go, great, I'm going to add it to the pile. Um, So in that way, with with regards to author management, you're very much um, decreasing that amount of time. Yeah. And of course, like that is a very rough, (laughs) rough estimate because everybody's different. Right. Um, But yeah, there's something there's there's something there with with building out the the seasons in in very much a similar way yeah um it you know with regards to commission you know if people listening and they're like well how do you eat in the summer um 
when you sell books in the fall and in the spring, <laughs> exactly. you set the, yeah. uh, so here's what exactly. you do, folks. You, when you're negotiating a contract, you set the due dates and the, um, and the payment schedule to align with summer. <laughs> right. So that like when the book is, you know, when the book is, you know, done from done with copy editing, like oftentimes then the manuscript is formally accepted and then you get like a third or like yeah. half of the, sure. the advance. You do whatever you can to like zhuzh that in. Get yourself some checks during July. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, oh, that's work I did a year ago. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's pretty great. Yeah. No, I mean, I think like it's it's interesting because so often publishing gets this bad rap as being like a seasonal industry. Right. right. Like people are only working a certain amount of time. But I think that that, as we've sort of talked through here, is not true. It's, it's, that, the, it's that the work changes, and I would say like if every if it was sort of like this monochrome calendar, where if it was if every season felt like fall, mm-hmm. I think that you would actually find that you know the rhythm of, like the rhythm of things is really clarifying. You know, like having kind of ups and downs and energy allows for easier thinking. I think it allows for um, being able to actually plan things out and being able to take on the many different facets right. of you know publishing work without having to constantly like like that actually I will say one the the hardest part of working in house as an editor for me was that just that feeling of everything happening all the time like it, at, explain what you mean by at that. any given moment you've got five books in especially like when I was at Overlook I mean we were and I guess everywhere it's not even a specific thing for there but you're managing so many different titles mm-hmm. right at different stages at, in the and process there, so at any given moment no matter what day it is 365 days a year you've got five books that are publishing next week you've got five books that are in production you've got five books that need editing like at the every single stage is filled at all times and i suppose that gets true as you get further along in agenting right like you have books all the time that are everywhere but it's not necessarily your work mm-hmm. always you know it's editor's work and author's work but like it's the ebb and flow to agenting, I think, is really – I find it welcome and I find it productive in right. a way. Like I think that we need seasons like this to actually be you know, reaching out to people, to be trying to build connections that we can then use to actually – like having a set-aside season in the calendar that's a little bit more low-key is actually – I think it's good for the job even if it can feel sometimes like, man, what is even happening? I'm too hot. <laughs> I'm wearing these awful shorts. Like it's it's no good, but yeah. Well, what it what it also does is it allows. I mean, this is fundamentally an agent signs books that they're really excited about, yeah. and editors buy books that they're really excited about. And you know, we've we've talked at length in other episodes about how a lot of you know book acquisitions it's it's financial because it should be, but. Books don't go to ed board unless the editor is really passionate about them. And mm-hmm. so if something is happening all the time and there isn't this like clarifying set of seasons, then what that means is that there's not a lot of space for an editor to like step back and become really, really excited yeah. about new projects. And to and so I think from even just like a like a an, an intellectual an emotional level seasons are really important there and you're able to you know the hype is important the you know feeling like you're you finished all your work and all your big fall books because fall still remains you know the biggest publishing season you know once once as an editor those books are out of your hand and fall hits like everybody else is doing the works on the books that you've done and it feels really good and things are getting really successful and if you're lucky your books have made the list and all this other stuff and then you're feeling really good about yourself and then you go in and you're like i'm gonna find another one yeah and it really is it is very like I say, I want to say manipulative, but not in a negative way. Like oh, it's, it's yeah. very much taking like Merge Dragons does. <laughs> it, it, it um, yeah, it takes it like really plays into this to your psyche, right? And makes makes it rewarding. Now is a great time to pitch Laura on any book that you can find that feels like a phone game. Oh my god, um, you guys! So. <laughs> like if you have any tips for 
I mean, besides deleting it. No, I'm, no, no. I, for I playing the game, it. for getting good at the game. For getting good at the game. We're gonna get, we're gonna get to a point where you're gonna be doing like in-app purchases. You're gonna be like, you know, spending like six ninety nine on whatever like the new cool thing is in there, just to make sure that you can do whatever it is. Like usually, like it fixes time, right? Like. You can buy stuff to make stuff go faster. It actually gives you these like purple gems, which allow mm-hmm. you to get yeah, like, see, which allow yeah. you to open treasure boxes. And you've which already give you spent like thirty nine bucks. I have on not it, spent thirty nine <laughs> bucks. I have spent three ninety nine. You spent money. You did it. You I, broke yeah. the seal. I broke oh, it. Oh my god. I broke god. it. Oh man, yeah, she's in deep. So the other like last, not the last thing, but one other key facet of summer i think that maybe isn't as public facing and people don't know as much about is rights stuff right is subrights um because this is something you and i honestly we learned this year right because Mm -hmm. we we went to london and i think learned a ton really kind of had an education on the fly about how so many of these different subrights things work but um there's sort of two big dates in the foreign rights and the subrights world, right? There's the London Book Fair, you know, which back is in the spring, in March. In, yeah, which is in spring, and then there's Frankfurt, which is in, I believe, October. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, but that means that if everyone who deals with rights um, sort of convenes around those two points, summer obviously is a huge time for the discussion, for the selling of rights, for that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. so. Or in the making sure that you've got all that organized so that when you go to Frankfurt, you know, you have your stuff ready to kind of roll. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a big moment for that, too. Yeah. So the which is which is so interesting because I and you know, it makes a lot of sense because theoretically all of the books have been sold in the fall and then in the spring and subrights, um, especially foreign rights. They don't want the subrights until the book has been sold um, or the book has been published and has done really well. Right. And so what selling subrights in the summer does is it allows those books to pub or sell in the fall and the spring. And then when they've reached that moment when the subrights are now attractive, yeah. that's when everybody else takes advantage of it. Yeah. So that's really the, the, the main time when, you know, summer, summer is really, really, really busy. Mm. And so that's, that's a it's an it's an interesting you know it makes sense when you look at it overall mm-hmm. when you look at all of the books overall but honestly it just sounds like exhausting to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i'm glad subrights agents exist oh that's um, the thing right like yeah because we work at a small agency and it's like so a lot of that stuff ends up we have to guide a lot of that ourselves at least to start right, right? and so you find out real fast how useful having people devoted to certain jobs are. You oh, know? <laughs> man, that specialization is key. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, yeah, a huge core of that specific job happens right now, which is much less related to um, sort of traditional, no- you know, when you think of the images of publishing, right. you're not thinking of subrights people, which is unfair, honestly, because that's a massive portion. Yeah, that's of how you make end. all but, of the money. Exa- exactly. But it's not the, you know, the editor and the writer and the, you know, kind of the three pieces that everybody's always thinking about. But so really the last the last facet of it, I think, is how do you look at all this? Like if you because, you know, a lot of our listeners are writers. Um, how do you look at this as a writer and kind of see this ebb and flow of how the book industry works? You know, how do you turn that not necessarily to your advantage because there's not really any there's no advantages in public none of us have any advantage on anything but like um how do you think about that calendar in relation to your own work because i guess like usually magazines and stuff and we're going to talk about something separate than that but like submission deadlines for short stuff are usually you know they open in the fall you know like it's sort of um like publication stuff happens a little later or a little earlier in the year so it's kind of a dead zone there too for writers but if you're looking and trying to figure out book stuff and you're thinking okay i've got this book i'm getting ready to pitch how would you be thinking about summer well okay so i think a lot of how writers have to look at summer is dependent on and assuming that these writers don't have agents Mm -hmm. they are very much forced to consider it even you know, kind of beyond their own workflow because a lot of agents close in the summer to submissions. And it's because they have a ton that they got in spring when they were really busy and now they want to read all of the ones from spring before fall happens again, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so in a lot of ways there, I think it would probably behoove writers to treat that 
like treat summer as a as a way to really prepare and workshop because it's the yeah. same thing where like sending something out on submission in July as an yeah. agent will not really will actually extend your time out on submission. Yeah. Submitting to people that are open in the summer will also probably extend your time yeah. before you get responses there yeah. just by virtue of how everybody else is working. And so summer is a really to me is a really, really, really valuable time to do research and prepare your querying lists That's and what I was say and too, really yeah. like workshop and you know day after labor day most people open up again and then you can you know send them out it is a great time to do yeah. things like subscribe to a query show and yeah. get your pitch as good but, as possible <laughs> but honestly but. like submitting and being ready to submit right when an agent yeah. reopens to queries yep. is probably the best time like compared to when an agent is you know closing in one week and you're yeah. getting it in yeah um when they're opening and they've been closed for a while they're, they're fresh yeah. and they're hungry right. and they're not like i've seen 18 of these in the past week i'm exhausted like very much it is a matter of like fresh eyes really make all the difference yeah. and so if you know and don't you know like sit on your query if you're ready and don't like rush it if you're not ready but if if you've been deliberate and you have been lucky enough to to have your workflow fit in with mm. the overall publishing workflow submitting in those first months yeah. is is probably going to to help a little yeah. bit like i um so i i do something every year at the beginning of the year called 500 queries you sure do i sure do which is basically <laughs> like i do one tweet one tweet uh -huh. for every query i get in in order for the first 500 i get in the year and this past year and you know at the end i kind of like break down the the data and you know i i i requested this many partials and etc um and this year I was closed for a really significant amount of time before mm -hmm. I opened up on January 1st, mm -hmm. like more than just like I was closed from, you know, like Christmas to New Year's. Like, no, no, it was like longer than that. And I actually saw the number of requests go up pretty significantly because yeah. I had been yeah. closed for a while. And then when I opened them back up, I was like, oh, wow, all of these sound really great. Yeah. And theoretically, the people who then were the first 500 to query me in like in and on January 1st yeah. all the way through, you know, February, like beginning of February, those people presumably also spent more time refining their pitch and it was better and it was like higher quality. And so in that way, it worked together. And I actually like have the receipts to prove it that I requested more than I would normally like if I was getting oh I'm close to queries right now. But, you know, like if I was doing it at the end of my my submission period. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's um that makes a lot of sense like i know like for instance i'm planning to query a book this fall i Hello. think uh we'll see how it goes i'm a very slow worker so maybe i won't make it but one thing i'm also doing when i'm sick of staring at my own revisions is i'm like starting to put together a pitch list mm -hmm. right for agents i want to go to and i'm starting to kind of take note of um not only submission guidelines but like dates you know that you wrote your query yeah. last week yeah i did write my query on the plane the other day and surprisingly folks i forgot everything i knew about <laughs> reading pitch letters and if only we had a query <laughs> show that you could submit you should, to that was it was actually a very funny experience like i was like oh, i'll just mess around and draft my query it'll take a minute you know it's it's what 300 words and i got we like, write queries all the time because yeah. the queries are the foundation of like pitch letters i was a thousand words into my query letter like immediately <laughs> it's like this this is not going to work or you have to i have to try something else um it was way too long um i will be obviously fixing that beforehand but it's funny how that kind of stuff flips when it's when it's you the writer but the point of this anecdote is that i'm sort of trying to use summer as a chance to do what you described right. which is do the research right use the time as a chance to really kind of dig deep into who's looking for what when and it's then, too hot, crack right. open a shitty beer and just <laughs> troll like publishers marketplace for agents you might want to work with. Summer is a great time to be online, um, <laughs> as it is every season. But yeah, no, I mean, I think so. To me, like if you were gonna distill it, summer is a chance to build something yeah. that you then show people in the fall, like right? your patio, like my or my damn camp and merge dragons. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Um, yeah, so I mean I, that kind of makes sense for me. Um, I think that 
it's a sleepy season. It can feel like an unstructured season, but really what it is, it's a time to be really self-directed about, you know, like ask yourself wherever you are in publishing, whether you're a writer, whether you're someone in the industry looking at this, a great thing to kind of ask yourself is what do I have ready to show to people Mm -hmm. in the fall? You know, and this is the chance to kind of use the time to, and the space to kind of do that kind of deeper creative work. And so in that way, it's a season I really like, but speaking of, doing the work um (laughs) we have a taloon it may concern eric that i think that you might enjoy quite a bit and the rest of you listeners i think you will also dear loon i have been in the query trenches for months sending just shy of 100 queries a few weeks ago i was stoked to receive an offer of representation However, once I spoke with the agent and did my deep dive of research, I realized that this particular agent actually isn't a good fit for me. It was a brutal decision to turn down the offer, but ultimately I'm confident it's the right one. I'm not sure I, I could have figured out any earlier in the process either since the information that came out during our call factored into the choice. Without going into the weeds with specifics, the main reason had to do with the direction they wanted to take my manuscript and how they wanted to proceed with pitching editors. I just wasn't confident that my work would be in the right hands. It was one of the hardest decisions I've made in my writing career so far. So real quick, this letter goes on. But let's stop right there because there's something worth analyzing, I think. And that is like this person made, I think, a choice. Honestly, probably more people should make. Yes. And they are very responsible and a very, I think, astute and professional choice as a writer, which is that if you are talking to an agent who has offered representation – and you don't like what they're saying about your book or you get some weird feeling or then you go and do a little research and you find out that they work in a certain way that you don't like or they have an angle to their stuff that you don't necessarily believe in. Like, good on you for turning, them turning down. that down. So before we get anywhere else, I think that's a really key start because, you know, you see this wisdom a lot, but it's true. Having an agent who isn't right for you is worse than having no agent. Correct. Much worse. Correct. And so. It's good. So we're off to a good start, I think, as scary as it can be to turn down representation. This author did the right thing. So let's keep going. Though for a while I was seriously considering the offering agent, so following industry standards seemed like the right thing to do. I notified other requesting agents on my offer and asked for their responses by a certain date. Slowly but surely, they all stepped aside. However, a few in particular gave specific supportive feedback and even said that they would be open to considering future work should it not work out with the offering agent. There were some consistent notes in their responses, which now that I've processed it all, I agree with and I have some pretty clear ideas on what this manuscript needs. I'm even excited to apply the notes, actually. The thing is, no one's individual feedback went into very much detail, and understandably so since I assumed they thought I'd be taking the other offer anyway. But once I put all the responses together, there were some clear themes. So here's what I'm wondering. Is it a good idea to reach back out to these agents since I'm now looking for representation again? Would something like, hi, thanks so much for your consideration of this project. I ultimately didn't sign with the offering agent because we didn't quite see eye to eye on what direction to take the manuscript. I've also done another round of revisions that address the notes you and other agents gave, so I wanted to see if you're interested in taking another look. Or does reaching back out to the same project just come across as one big red flag? Quite a question. That is quite a question. Um, I would say that this author's instincts are correct. Here. I think that they have one, you know, good on them for making the responsible decision up front mm-hmm. that we talked about, right? Good on them for then following industry standard protocol. You know, when you have an offer representation, tell, tell all the other agents who have your manuscript and just say, hey, I'm considering this offer. You know, and one, one real clear point of distinction that I think actually makes a difference in this letter's answer is you don't have to say, I'm planning on taking this offer of representation from somebody else like you can just like it's not so it sounds like part of the concern here Mm -hmm. is that they'll feel that they've been misleading or that they've like lied you know right because they said oh i had an offer and then i didn't take the offer does it sound like i was like scamming them or that i was doing a red flag and the answer is no right the answer is you're fine because you said you had an offer you did that doesn't imply that you're going to take it even if the only time it feels like a scam is if you query somebody saying i already have an offer in hand look at my Uh manuscript yeah if you if like somebody has been checking out your manuscript yeah and you come in and you say i have an offer of representation and regardless of what you do with that offer, like that's that's a part of the process and nobody's going to look at you like you're you're doing something bad. So just to make that differentiation is perfectly clear. You're talking about querying fresh. Correct. After having with an it. offer. Yeah, right. Okay. The only the only um, way that that 
works well is if you have an offer in hand from a publisher yes. and then you're like, I need an yes. agent really yes. quickly. Exactly. Right. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's to me, it doesn't, you know, the rationale and the language you use here works pretty well. I think that, you know, just describing, you know, anytime this is true, not just of publishing and stuff, but of anything, like when the facts are on your side, use mm-hmm. them, you know, like your truthful answer here, I think is the best one. It's a good one. Like I had an offer. I it turned out I didn't necessarily want to take it. I know that you were previously interested. I made revisions along the lines you were describing. Would you like to see it again? Yeah. I think that's perfectly fine. What do you think? It is perfectly fine. And I have actually signed authors yeah. who have done this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's worth talking about the deadline here because I think that that will really kind of shed some light on what this whole process mm-hmm. is is going to be like. Um, so the reason for putting a deadline on there, you know, like I want to get back to this person by this date is so that you can keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. If there's, there's kind of two different answers. If somebody is going to step aside that an agent will give to you with yeah. this deadline. One is, you know, thanks. I looked at it. I'm going to step aside. Oftentimes means that it's just like not for them or that yeah. they didn't really have time to consider it yeah. because again, like time is a big factor and yeah. some, you don't know how busy somebody is. Um, with a project like that and it's oftentimes just better to just step aside and yeah. pull yourself out of the running than yeah. to kind of like kill yourself trying to get get through something um, but if somebody gives you specific feedback and says you know I'd be open to considering your other works if you're ever in need of an agent that to me kind of looks like there are two distinct possibilities there and you need to continue and to like find out which possibility this agent has you know you kind of need to stay in contact with them so option number one is that this book they really liked your writing they really liked you but this book was not the book okay right option number two is they really liked it but it needed enough work that it might have been kind of like an r&r sort of thing or it might have been like a bigger ask that they feel like wouldn't necessarily compete with somebody who wanted to sign it as is. That's the thing, right, is because the calculus changes. Like a book that you might have previously wanted to invest a little time in, it's like, that time why, is would, no I, longer why there. would I type out a read and revise or revise and resubmit? When you have me, an offer. When they're just about to take the other offer, anyway, which is not a cynical view of anything. It's right. just a man- matter of like probability, you know? It's like, right. And that's also the reason why somebody wouldn't give a ton of feedback is also because like if they're they know that they stand very little chance of of getting this book because they are going to require more work um they're not gonna you know spend several hours putting together a really long edit letter for you Mm -hmm. right and so i think like they're and so those those are those are two directions that these agents probably are considering for your project so you have this opportunity where when you put all of these agent things together, like writing back to them and saying, you know what, like this other agent just wasn't a good fit and I ultimately decided to step away. You and some other agents raised the issues of X, Y, and Z. I have since revised the manuscript according to that. Would you be open to taking a look at it again or like continuing this conversation, right? And like ideally at this point, you've established a little bit of rapport with these agents because they've spent the time in giving you feedback. And so like, All of the things like continuing the conversation is something I think that a lot of writers think that they're not allowed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But it definitely is, you know, agents, you know, even if you don't end up signing with people like there are a lot of agents out there who are rooting for and are fans of writers, you know. And so like if they've taken the time and given you really specific feedback and done something and like you've you've got a rapport there you've got a little bit of flexibility in terms of the conversations you can and should be having with them mm-hmm. um and so for me i really think that if you send a note and you're really specific and you're really honest and say you know like you were right it had this manuscript had these problems I fixed them. These were my solutions. I would love, you know, I really think that you and I aligned very well on the direction that this manuscript can and should go. And mm-hmm. I would love to continue that, you know, kind of kind of exploring yeah. this with you. Sure. Most of the time an agent will say yes. Yeah, I mean, because it's pretty low stakes, right? Yeah, like it's be, low stakes. I would take a look at something again under those circumstances. Right. So Right. And, yeah. you know, oftentimes I, you know, I've done that where 
you know, somebody has had an offer and it's the timeline. And I'm like, you know what? I don't really have the time, but I found this, this and this problem. If you decide to go in that direction with your edits, I would take another look. And I have signed people that way. I truly have. Yeah. Um, because what that's also doing is it's also showing that you guys would work well together. Not just that the agent has a good vision, but that you truly would be like partners that would work together better than than what this other agent would do. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that makes total sense to me. And like, again, it's like I think you're right that a lot of this underlying anxiety comes from what are authors allowed to do? Right? Right. Like what like what rights do we have? And the answer here is just sending the exact very logic human email (laughs) that you have typed out already it sounds like and so i would just go for it i mean i think that you're fine and the agents like to reiterate again i know i've said it like two times already i'm going to say it a third time they have taken the first step to a collaborative relationship with you you are allowed to capitalize on that Mm -hmm. there we go yeah boom same thing is true if you talk to somebody at a conference and you have a really constructive session there Mm -hmm. Same is true in any other of those instances. Like if somebody, you know, is like we've had I've had queries from people on the query show who've sent it and be like, this is really, you know, this was really constructive for me, blah, 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 blah. I'm querying you because I think we'd be a good fit. Like that person automatically like this is this is a business of people working with people and we're just humans and we just (laughs) want to make sure that we're working with people who like are picking up what we're laying down and want to work with us. Just people. Trying to spend three ninety nine on some purple gems to make the <laughs> Eric, it, I need help. It's so like as soon as you leave here, I'm I know, opening you're it dive up. Back in. Yeah. I'm gonna open it up. I know, I know what your like does. <laughs> you animals. I need an adult. Okay. Um, I am going to sign us off because I need to go make some dragons. Mm. Uh, but thank you all so much for joining us on this episode of Print Run in the doldrums of July. Um, make sure that you hydrate and you wear sunscreen and you <laughs> tune in to our special episodes. They're coming up this month and they're going to be a lot of fun. Should I pivot to one of those accounts where I just like remind people to drink water? Honestly. It's like one of those like, hey, I know you're like, you know, busy in your life, but take a minute for you. Drink a little water. That could be me now. I it's think. incredibly important. Yeah. It's incredibly yeah. important. All right. That's going to be my rebrand. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Thank you everyone so much and we'll see you next week.